Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they lived in another city around the world. And the best way to think of the Inside Scoop, because the interviews take a while to arrange that we're working on, and because they take a little bit of time to execute, which we're working on, it's best to think about them in seasons. So we'll be heading into season two, where I have some guests lined up, and we're going to learn more about different areas of soccer in different parts of the world. So I look forward to that. In the meantime, though, you just have to endure the musings of a crazy soccer parent, and that's what we're going to do now. Now, this show is brought to you in part by Anytime Soccer Training, which I am the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. And if you've been following the podcast and following the Facebook group, you'll know that we did effectively a soft launch, right? I wanted to get it out there for folks. Um, many of you have been testing it out and providing feedback, and I've been listening to folks in the Facebook group as well. And as a result of that, I've implemented some of the things that I've uh, learned from customer feedback and some of the things I've learned from my own boys feedback I've implemented that into the product and we're so excited to be launching it officially in the next two weeks so in the meantime go to anytime-soccer.com and join the waiting list and then we will make sure we hook you up with a free account when the time is right now in terms of the things that I've implemented based on your feedback and really quickly there is the first thing is over 101 fun soccer games. So if you've been listening to the show, you know that uh, the program has over a thousand training videos, but we've also added over 101 fun soccer games. So it's almost like your PE teacher meets your favorite coach and they get together and create a curriculum just for you. And it's all 100% follow along and the kids enjoy it. And then in terms of the training videos, we say 1,000 training videos, but it's actually going to end up being almost 5,000 because what we've done is, if you can picture this, a typical training video will have maybe four moves and then they will repeat each other, right, for about 10 minutes. And then testing it with kids, that was fine, but I realized, you know what, I got to go back to the basics, really go back to the basics, go back to my roots. And if you... And, if, and I've talked about this a lot in terms of my roots. When I started with my boys, we would do two minutes, five minutes, three minutes on one move until they got it. Right. And then we move on to the next thing. And that's what we built into the system. So we've taken those thousand videos, which are composed of different moves, and we have put them each move into one video that's three to five minutes long. And that allows your child to really get familiar with the move before they move on to the next one that then culminates. And then after they do three or four moves, it culminates into a review video that combines them. And in addition to that, and this is a nuanced point. So when you see the product, it'll make more sense to you. Not only are we doing each individual move per video, we're doing it per foot, because this is very important to me. So I want to make sure that my boys and then your children for that matter get those requisite reps on each foot and you know the social media space space is filled with folks who who will tell you that this methodology doesn't work well i'm here to tell you pretty much anything you do that you're consistent with will work but i have seen it work with my kids and i have seen it work with uh, other children and if you have a way to get masterful on the ball without repetitions in an unopposed setting 
then it translates into an opposed environment then uh please email me but make sure you include video because i there's a lot of folks out here who will tell you this stuff but they're just talking in theory i need to see the video and then we can we can go from there now because i would love to i would love to be able to go out here and say there's another methodology out there that does not require repetitions that does not require unopposed um practice does that you could just you know i don't even know you can small-sided game your way into mastery if that's what you have then then show me because i would because i'm here to learn all right so that's my soapbox on that so now this particular show let me give you the title of this show first and then we're gonna and then i'm gonna i'm gonna build it up a little bit so this show is called why a youth soccer team wins games so why a youth soccer team wins games so that's what we're going to talk about and this the topic of this show came to me for three different way reasons. Number one, it's part three of, of a show of two shows that I did in the past. Number two is my son's, my older son just finished a tournament in which they lost the championship game, even though they possessed the ball like 95% of the time. And then number three is there was a coach who posted a video on social media that I'm going to share, talk to you guys about that, uh, also prompted this show so why does a youth soccer team um, win now i'm doing this show pretty quickly because i have to have to run and i'm going to try to be logic logical and um succinct so but please bear with me if it doesn't work out that way so this is the my this is actually my fourth attempt of a, of a filming this or recording this so i gotta go with whatever happens now so in a previous show, I did a podcast where called Reimagining the Youth Soccer Space, where I talked about youth soccer, uh, reimagining youth soccer organizations, where I talked about um, sort of reorganizing youth soccer organizations in a way that sort of reduced some of the conflicts of interest. But at the end of that show, and what I want to bring to your attention and remind you uh, today is I said, okay, in addition to that, there's a simple, simple screener that parent trainers can use to get a sense of the soccer stuff, not the non-soccer stuff, but the soccer stuff, the level of coaching is happening at their particular club. And I and I said, and I use this for this screener for my own son's club, and I use this screener when I watch other soccer teams. So at these tournaments, for example, you often have to arrive in before your child's son, your child's uh, game begins, so you can you're going to watch another club's team play. And, you know, that's just normal how it works. And so that's an example where in the back of my mind, I'm using this screener to, to evaluate sort of what's going on there. And unfortunately, I have to say, and my my, my um, scope is very limited, so this is not an indictment on youth soccer, but unfortunately, I have to say, most of the clubs I see fail uh, when it comes to this particular screener. And I don't, and so that's a disappointment to me. I actually don't even think it, the level of the skill of the individual kids matters that much in order to be able to accomplish it. A lot of it has to do with coaching and the philosophy and what they're trying to do. So anyways, I said at a bare minimum, uh, a youth soccer club, a competitive youth soccer club, U8 and above, definitely when you start getting into that U9, U10 phase, should be able to successfully connect at least five passes. And I'm going to reel through these quickly. I encourage you to listen to those previous podcasts uh, if you have not, where I go into more detail as to why this is important and what this means. The next thing I said is a, 
when receiving the ball, um, each player should check up, right, and and look for uh, look around their surroundings. I'm not even saying they need to check up. Yeah, ideally, you look before you receive the ball, but at a minimum, when you get the ball, you don't just have your head down and 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 try to dribble or whatever. You look around, you evaluate your surroundings, and even if you can't execute, you look around and evaluate your surroundings. And this is not limited to the most technical kid on that team or the coach's son or the crazy parent trainer's son this or daughter these are all the kids are doing that because it's something about if you can get all nine all seven all 11 kids to do that then that means that there's some kind of unified coaching going on there and then the next thing is does the team get back in position on defense especially in transition and do they fight for that ball right because quite frankly, defense is hard. So if you have a unit that's swarming the ball on defense, that's also another very, very good sign that things are moving in the right direction. All right, so now we go on to say, uh, so that, that's, that's one screener. Then another show I did, I effectively said, hey, listen, I don't get emotional about dribbling. I don't get emotional about passing or what is right or wrong. I, I, you know, I put soccer IQ at a premium. So did you intellectually understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish as the individual and how that then ties into the club's overall philosophy, which I talked about. And so in that show, I effectively said to my son, here's why you dribble the soccer ball, right? You dribble the soccer ball in part to create numerical advantages because when you get by a player, it, it, you know, it creates a numerical advantage for your team. And that's why it's so important that you're able as an attacking player to get by people. And we're gonna talk about why that is important in the context, in the broader context of the show. Then, um, so, so that was another show. And then I talked about drills I do to help emphasize that skill. And the simple drill would be your 2v2 in both, you have two boxes and your 2v2, right? Oh, sorry, your 1v1 in one box. And then the player that is able to get through that box to get to the next, next box is now 2v1 against uh, the other player, uh, the other player that's in the box. So that's an example of how you were able to get past one player, you create a numerical advantage, and that's when you make the pass, as opposed to just simply passing it, and then there's no numerical advantage. Yeah, you can pass the ball and run into that space, and that's important, but that's a different skill altogether. Okay. And then finally, I guess this is part four, because I did another show where we talked about the club's philosophy and why that's important. And I effectively said, and sorry, I'm rushing. I actually got to go somewhere. So I'm going to try to get this thing out as fast as I can. I effectively said a club's philosophy is, um, it's, it's, at its core, it's how the club or how the coach believes the game should be played what so when your child has the ball what should they be thinking especially and then you look at what parts of the pitch they're on when they have the ball when they're out of possession but the team has possession when they don't have the ball but the team has possession what should they be thinking when they're out of possession what should they be thinking when they're out of possession and their man and the man closest to them has the ball what should they be thinking these are all the if you could hit time out the club should technically be able to explain to you these are some of the things that they should be thinking. These are some of the behaviors that we look for. These are the behaviors that would be that are consistent with our overall philosophy. Okay, so that's the club philosophy. 
Now, what I want to do is tie all of that together. And I'm going to be quick. And I might do a follow-up show on this because I got to be pretty quick here. I want to tie all of that together to talk about why a youth soccer team wins games. And I'm the type of person that I call myself an observation coach. And that means I got my coaching license on Facebook and I got my master's in science on Google. So I don't, I don't have all of the, the, the technical or the, or the um, I guess you say the educated uh, terms to use to explain what I'm seeing. As a matter of fact, I put this out here for public consumption so other people can, can, uh, can tell me I'm a moron. And I would love to invite coaches on that can address what I'm about to say, right? But this is, you know, if my son asks me, dad, why do some teams win and some teams lose? Or why, definitely, why do some teams win? This is kind of what I would tell them. Now, there's one more point to this. And this was inspired, again, by the fact that they lost their uh, soccer game, even the, the championship game, even though they had 90% of the possession. Another coach posted a, a video of a Barcelona youth soccer team on social media that connected 24 or 30-something ridiculous passes and then eventually scored. Um, and then my own observation as I, as my son matriculates through the various ages of the foundation phase. Now, we talked about they had 90% of the chances, they did not score any, I mean, 90% of possession, they did not score the goal. So that happened in real life and they lost the championship game. And there were some other things going on as there as well, but that's boiled down to what happened. Another, we talked about the fact that a coach posted on social media a Barcelona team that was able to connect over 24 to 30 something passes and that coach was saying, you know, this is in their mind, a demonstration of individual technical ability as well as a good possession style of play. And then the comments on that varied from, boy, that's amazing to some people said, hey, there were a lot of needless passes. Some people said, hey, I'd like to see more 1v1. And I try to explain my perspective here, but you know, the, my mind works so nuanced that it's not fair to the reader and it's a waste of time to try to go into that level of detail on social media. So I thought I would do it on the podcast. So, so that, and, and so that was that, that was part of it. And so that made me think, okay, if I was explaining why teams win soccer games, it's very, very, very simple to me. Youth soccer teams, anyways. We know the field is divided into three parts, three major parts. The defensive third, the middle field, midfield, and the final third, the attacking third, offensive third. And, and then more broadly speaking, the field is broken into two halves, you know, a defensive half and a and an offensive half. Well, just cutting to the chase, and then we're going to work backwards from this. The team that's able to connect five, not five, sorry, three passes in the attacking half, so the offensive half of the field, three, I'm calling them positive passes, or passes moving forward where the ball is traveling forward. The team that's able to do that, to do a minimum of three attacking passes of where the ball is moving forward, will likely score or have a great opportunity at goal. When you get to four or five, it's almost your chances of scoring in that sequence are huge. 
So let me let me repeat that because I kind of muffled it a little bit. The team, so that when your team is in their offensive side, if they are able to connect three passes, they don't even have to be in a row necessarily, three passes going forward, they are in an excellent position. They will be in an excellent position to score. More than likely after that third pass, they will score. When you get into four and definitely five, going where the ball went forward, then they will score. or It will be almost a guarantee they'll score or the chance will be brilliant. Oh, now there's one more thing to that. So it's three passes. I call it three passes with a cherry on top. And I'll explain the cherry on top in a second. So three passes and a cherry on top, and those passes have to go forward. So that means if you pass the ball forward and then you pass it back, but you stayed on your offensive half, that's one pass, even though it's two, right? So if you did that three times, that would be six passes, right? You would possess the ball six times, basically. But once you, for the purposes of this, as the ball goes back to your defensive half, then the clock starts again. So three passes and a cherry on top. Now, there's another part of this. If you dribble past a player, that's the equivalent of, of a pass. So you dribble past one person, now you only need two passes. If you dribble past two people, you only need one pass in the cherry on top. And the cherry on top is, or is one of two things. It's the ability to finish or something that the attacking player has done creatively to create a little bit more space. That's the cherry on top. And all the training that we do in the backyard, now I'm kind of talking to my son, all that work we do is so that you can do, well, you can do all these things, but really so that you can get by someone creating that numerical advantage that we talked about and that you have that little bit of skill to uh, execute the cherry on top that not all players can do. That's, that's how you a youth soccer team wins games. So then when we go back, we take a step back. When I look at that Barcelona video, if I look at any video where there's 30 passes or 40 passes, I don't care. I'm really, that's important, but I'm really looking at how many positive passes did they make? And I'm calling positive passes, meaning going forward, did they make in that final third? So then the question becomes, well, why do they need all those other passes? Well, the analogy I like to use is it's like a boxer. You're like a boxer. Those other passes are like body blows. They're like little jabs. Those things really, really tire the defense out, right? Because you're just jabbing, jabbing, you're moving, you're moving. When you're watching it on TV, it may look like, oh, you don't have to move. They're not doing anything. But when they're doing it, at when you're doing it in real life and they're moving side to side and your vantage point is on the field, you can't see what's behind you. You don't know what's going on. So you're constantly running. And it's it's extremely tiring to chase that ball around when you don't have possession. So all of those passes they're doing in the back to build up and all that kind of stuff is just priming the defense. Now, as they get older, they do a lot of that stuff to sort of figure out what type of defense the team is playing and some other stuff going on, a lot of other stuff going on, stuff that's beyond the scope of what I'm trying to talk about. But at its core, when they possess that ball like that, they're really tiring you out. 
Now, a couple of the housekeeping things. This rule doesn't apply to set pieces. So then another question might become, well, then what about the quote unquote kickball where they kick the long ball? What does that do? Well, again, three passes, three to four passes with a cherry on top, positive passes with a cherry on top in the final third is why a youth soccer team can win. If your, your youth soccer team cannot do that, there are other ways to score and there are other reasons why you win. So, for example, going back to the tournament play, the team that beat my son's team won on one set piece and then it was a defensive mistake. So when they win like that, you will, if you understand what I'm explaining, you will understand that that can happen and you'll see that's not um that happens sometime, but long-term, that's going to be very difficult to sustain. So that's why, and I'll talk about this in another podcast, that's why I don't really entertain the winning versus development um, argument in terms of pitting, pitting each, other, each other together. Because if your team can um, connect three positive passes with a cherry on top, it takes a lot of the development to be able to do that because now you're in your final third. So you're doing that against the majority of the defensive team. And it's going to result in, in a lot of wins, right? Now people will say, well, yeah, but we're passing and we're paying possession and they're pressing us. Yeah, but again, I'm going to do a, a podcast on this, but what typically happens is you have two bad teams. And when that's the case, um, some other stuff happens. Or, or yes, yes, there is a period when you first start where there's a little bit of growing pains. But even then, I think you'll win the majority of your games. You'll just, you'll struggle against a, a couple of teams that are, are superior physically. Um. So, so, so that's it. I mean, so if and so if someone asks me, sort of, why did this team win, or why, what makes a youth soccer team win, is they can connect three to four positive passes. I actually think this is professionals with a cherry on top. The cherry on top is I do something creative to get by someone or I can finish with them. You'll hear people say top shelf or with class uh, that no one else can do. That's a cherry on top. So, man, I hope this show worked out well. I'm, I'm rushing it. I tried to get as much as I could into it. Oh, there's a couple of things. So, so all that we do when we start talking about club philosophy and executing that and people talk about rondos and all that kind of stuff all that we're doing is we're doing that stuff so that we can execute what i'm talking about you got to get at least five passes you got to get three positive passes in your uh, final third which means you really got, almost got to be able to connect seven to eight passes before we even hit go right so when people talk about getting wide when people talk about um depth all that stuff movement technical ability, opening up, body position, all of that stuff is necessary in order to execute those seven to eight passes, three of which are positive in your final third. But if you ask me, if I had to give you a quick sentence of why we didn't win, well, you were not able to do that because if you were able to do that consistently and then you did those other things that I talked about, you know, getting back on defense, you'll probably, you, you'll probably win. So then that leads me to my tip which is not really a tip, but it's sort of what I do. And I'm laying it out here for public consumption. It's what I do with my sons. And I'm just laying it out here for public consumption. 
I don't talk. So, so I haven't been completely honest with you guys when I say I don't talk to them about the games because I, I have been honest, but I haven't been honest. Well, I shouldn't say I haven't been honest. I just didn't think about it. So I, so they have a primary club. And I'm going to talk about that club a little bit in more detail when I get to sort of the professionalism and expectations podcast. And my older son, shouldn't even talk about my youngest son. His his thing is a little bit different. But my older son, he perceives that as his main club. And, and they're really professional. They have high expectations. And that's where he takes care of his soccer business. Well, um, so... So he can't, he doesn't feel comfortable just doing anything in that club. And I don't, I don't blame him. You know, he has pressure from the coaches and stuff. And we'll talk about that as well and sort of creativity and whatever, because he's part of a team and, and there, there are certain expectations. I'm not going to go into too much detail there. And so I don't, I never talk to him about the games in that environment ever. I don't think that's a good idea, regardless of the club, but it's definitely not a good idea. But in the summer, I will sign him up. And I use these Hispanic leagues or leagues that happen to be run by Hispanic people because they're rec, they're competitive rec leagues. And I use a little bit of futsal and I do use those opportunities to work with him on the cherry on top because the coach that he'll have is not really his coach and they, they probably couldn't be bothered. And the format lends itself to more creativity and stuff. So I will give specific instructions like, listen, dude, this game, I really need you to work on getting by one player and creating opportunities because you're going to be able to apply that more when you get back to your real season i want you to have fun with doing that but i just do want you to keep that stuff in mind and then even then i leave it there i don't really talk about the specific games but that's part of what we're doing so i look at it as a fun opposed opportunity now i'm going to do a podcast where i talk about five or six things that um um, five or six unpopular opinions that i have one of them is i don't see futsal or any of these other formats as a um because you say panacea i don't see these as some golden format that's going to change everything i think they are i think you get in from them whatever you put into it so i don't sign him up for futsal because i think there's going to be some magical thing that's going to happen to his development as a result of that i sign him up for that kind of stuff because i want him to work on the sherry on top and that would be my advice to you that sometimes if your child is in their normal season like mine playing up all the time you know Sign them up for something where it's their age, a lot less stress, where they can work on that cherry on top, assuming they're getting their rest and it's not too much. So sorry to rush you guys. I'm actually um, heading out. I got to I gotta go somewhere, but I feel like we're friends now and I can just do that. This is, my name is Neil Crawford. This is, uh, I'm the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. You've been listening to the Inside Scoop. And I will follow this podcast up with a few more details as I think about them because I rushed it. But that's the short version that I want to get people's feedback on. When you watch a game, when you watch a soccer game, and then you test me, send me video, post video on Facebook. When you watch a soccer game, the majority of this stuff you see when people are attacking and they score, it's going to be the result of three to four positive passes with a cherry on top. That's how you win. And everything you do uh, individually needs to be working on that those skills, especially the cherry on top and stuff you need to do as a team needs to be working on that ability to do that. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Let's get better together.